Okay, we're in uh, Galatians chapter 2, and uh, how about that, put it in the middle, there we go. And uh, we're doing a series called Free From, and today we're calling this Free From the Past, reading verses 14 to 21 of, of Galatians chapter 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's the Apostle Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, And gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. It's so important that we understand the very personal nature of faith in Jesus Christ. There's something when we read uh, some text like that, and there's some complicated bits in it, we can be turned off slightly because you think this sounds complicated. So therefore, I want us to dive straight into the end of these verses. Verse 20. Um, Just put the next slide on, please. And uh, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is one of the greatest men who ever lived. And he's a man who had never witnessed the death of Jesus on a cross. He hadn't been there at the time. Yet as he summarized his own story, he said, this is the most important event that happened in my life was the day I was crucified with Christ when he died. For us today, we're not studying history. We're not studying just something that happened a long time ago and and wondering if there's any lessons to learn. We're studying something that I would argue is of profound importance to your life and to mine. That Jesus' death on a cross changes everything for you today. It's not simply history, it has application now. I remember reading this scripture, Galatians 2.20 there, as a new Christian. And I just loved it, I underlined it. I I, I didn't really understand much of what it meant even. But there was something about the way that Paul Paul wrote it, he wrote it in such personal terms. And uh, is that the famous quote from the film uh, in the Shawshank Redemption? where the the guy says about that beautiful opera music he's hearing, he says, I have no idea to this day what those two ladies were singing about. (laughs) But there's something about this verse. You think, I don't fully understand it, but it just sounds beautiful. Where Paul says, Jesus died for me. I died with Jesus. Jesus lives in me, and now I live for Jesus. It just summarizes the Christian faith just beautifully. Paul understood that Christ's death, Christ's actions on his behalf had implications. Do do you know who this guy is, by the way? You might just think he's a random old man on the screen, but it's not. Do you know who he is? I'll I'll tell you. Okay, I won't leave you guessing. Uh, He's a a pilot of a plane. 
he became famous five years ago. He wasn't famous up to that point. But he became famous because when his flight took off from New York's LaGuardia Airport, they hit a flock of Canadian geese, and it killed both the, the engines on the Airbus 320, the sort of EasyJet-style plane that they were riding. They lost all power mid-air. They had three minutes to survive. And they say that this man, by his actions, and his actions alone really, saved the 155 people on board that plane. And it's a fascinating thing when you, you, you read the transcript between him and the airport control tower. He sort of radios in. He says, uh, hit some birds, lost all power, need to make an emergency landing. And the, the, the radio tower says, well, we could maybe try and do an emergency landing at this airport or that airport or this runway. And, and he just says, in the calmest voice, he says, negative, we're going to land on the Hudson River. And so three minutes later, this plane just glides into the Hudson River. If they'd gone anywhere else in New York, it would have caused major casualties, thousands of people. But he lands this aircraft. He's done what no other pilot has achieved in history, to actually land an airplane on water without loss of human life. And all these passengers, three minutes later, they got off the plane, they got onto the wing, and got onto the nearby boats that came and helped them. It was an absolutely incredible feat. And as, it, as the people got off and they got interviewed by the sort of media, and they said, tell us about your experience. Pretty much every single one of those people said, I mean, they're absolutely terrified, but they said, we are, we are just so thankful to be alive. It, it was such an ordeal, but we are so grateful that we had such a great pilot on board our plane that could land this plane to do the thing that nobody else has done before. I want you to imagine from, hypothetically, so every, every person on that plane was thankful and gave, gave great credit to this man. I want you to imagine for a moment that one of those guys, one of the passengers came off the plane and he said to the news reporter, he said, hey, I've got a slightly different angle on the story here. And I said, oh, really? Tell us. Yeah, it would be fascinating. He said, well, when I saw that the, the engines were dead and when I saw us drifting down towards the, the Hudson River, I thought, well, what can I do? So I, I, thought, I thought long and hard and I thought, this is what I'll do. I'll put my seatbelt on and, and I'll just begin to flap my arms like this. <laughs> And I encouraged some other passengers to do the same thing. And so as we were cruising down towards the Hudson, we were, we were just doing our bit to help that flight land safely. And I, I can't quite explain how it happened, but the plane landed safely and we're all saved. And I'm just glad to say that I played my part in this wonderful rescue operation. Wouldn't that be utterly ridiculous? Of course it would. You'd think, that, what a ridiculous idea to suggest that by flapping your wings inside a plane that somehow you make a plane land. Follow me here. <laughs> this is what is happening in the Galatian churches. Paul is saying, to be a Christian is to be somebody who has put your faith entirely in Jesus Christ to pilot your plane. For you to be saved, for you to be right with God, for you to spend eternity with God, you need Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. Yet these Christians in the Galatian churches had fallen into some other teaching where people had been saying, you know, it, it, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but really, to be saved, you must put in human effort as well. You must be obedient, particularly to the laws of Moses. And Paul is very, very clear with them. So in verse 14 that Matthew dealt with last week, he noted this. He said, they were not acting in line with the gospel. 
And here's an important statement. The gospel draws a line. It draws a line. And the line it draws is this. It draws a line between two groups of humanity. People who think that they will get by through their own self-righteousness and their own self-effort. They may be Christians, they may be not Christians, they may be religious people or non-religious. They might not believe in God, but they basically have this view of life. They think, yeah, I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody to save me. Then on the other side of the line, the gospel draws the line. The other side of the line is people who have realized that they can't do it by themselves, that they need, to, they need a savior and they put their faith in Jesus. And what happens in this church is that rather than drawing this line and understanding that this is the only line that matters, they've begun drawing some other lines. They've been drawing giant lines, particularly between Jews and Gentiles between people who've come from the original family of God and those who have been brought in, and they're saying, actually, this is an important division. We need to maintain this division. It's a distinction. It's important. They were worried what would happen if we got rid of that line. We all have things that freak us out. Do you have things that freak you out sometimes? Just particularly hygiene things. Do you think, ooh? Sometimes. My son, Sam, he learns the chanter, which is like, like the bagpipes, the, the precursor to the bagpipes. It's like a little wind instrument. And he has a group lesson at school on a Wednesday. And he came home the other day and he said, he said, oh, he said Dad, I forgot my chanter today for the lesson. I was like, oh, no. I said, did, did that mean you couldn't play? And he said, he said oh, no, no. He said, it's okay because my teacher lent me his. I was like, ooh. <laughs> I mean, Sam's teacher is a lovely guy, you know, big bearded Scotsman, but there's a lot of spit and saliva in wind instruments. I was just grossed by that. But then Sam, sensing that I wasn't totally cool with this, he, he pushed it further. He said, uh, he said oh, it's okay, Dad, because he shares that one with every child in the class. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is horrible. It, it, it's a no-go. Sharing kind of those sorts of things. Well... They'd turn this into a religious context. The, 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 the Jewish Christians were saying, actually, we, we don't even eat with people who are not from our original race, who have become Christians. They're sitting at a different table. And the Apostle Peter, he'd, he'd made inroads into that. He'd said, no, actually, I'm going to go and sit on the Gentile table, the non-Jew table, and I'm going to eat bacon sandwiches with them. And so as he's eating his bacon sandwiches, and they're, they're, they're telling jokes about Jews and Gentiles and, and all those sorts of things they get a visit from the equivalent of Ofsted. And teachers, you know what that feels like. We'll call this one Ofs Church, shall we? And it's some, some, some believers who, who come down and they start writing notes on Peter's behavior and they say, look at him. He's not teaching them the right values. He's not doing the right thing. He's, he's eating bacon with them. And so Peter wrongly withdrew and he said, okay, let's maintain the distinction. Let's have Gentile church, Jew church. And that line is wrong. We need to be careful about drawing lines where they shouldn't be. The only line that we are meant to draw is a line between self-righteousness and righteousness given to us through Christ. We're, we're a church and we've got all sorts of ages and stages here. And for pragmatic and very ordinary reasons, we often mix with the same types of people as us. But here's the truth. There's no reason why that has to be the case. Here's a point of application for you today. I wonder if you could find somebody 
after church today who's in a different age and stage of life to you and say hello and introduce yourself because that is surely an outworking of the gospel, the very thing that Paul is talking about. The gospel frees us from past divisions. Here's the second thing the gospel does. It frees us from past guilt. Look look at verse 15 again. He says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. It introduces us to this word justified which is a word you, you may not understand. It's a legal word. In fact, earlier on in the passage that we haven't read, Paul talks about Peter and he says, by, by Peter's own actions, he, he stood as a condemned man. These are legal terms. So if, if somebody is guilty in court, they get condemned. The judge bangs his hammer and he says, you're going down. That's a condemned person. The opposite of a condemned person in legal terminology is a justified person. It means a not guilty person. It's to have the, the hammer come down having heard the case and everything that's been said, and the judge having consulted all his legal books on the shelf, he says, not guilty. Not guilty. And it's that sense that Paul is bringing here. He's saying, actually, this is what the gospel is. It's for God to have his, bring his verdict over to you saying, not guilty. And this caused some confusion. I wonder if I could have a volunteer here. Jenny, I wonder if you could help me for a second. Just come up on the stage. Um, just... Uh, here we go. Oh, just hold that for me. Thanks. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, she might want a glove. Yeah. Just, oh, just, yeah. Thanks. We, we didn't we didn't prepare this just to let you know. Just uh, um, so it, here's the thing. So to be justified by God is to be declared right by Him, no matter what you've done. Right. So it doesn't matter what behaviour you have in your past. And so let's imagine, I'm, I'm a Jewish person, I've, I've come to faith in Christ, but th- th- this is true for me. I haven't managed to keep all the religious laws all of the time, so why don't you just smear a bit of chocolate oh, on me? Yeah. Just, just a little bit, not too much, just, just a bit, okay, just a little bit. Okay, so, so this is how it is for a believing Jew. You know, I, I'm trying my best to love God and to do the hygiene laws in the Bible and all the things it says in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, all of those things, but you know, I, I missed it. I missed one of those ritual washings. I didn't manage it, and oh, I can't look. Oh, dirt on my shirt. Oh. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, occasionally I miss it. Another little bit, just a little bit. Go to town here. So, so here's the thing. As a believing Jew, I'm totally aware that I'm dirty and I need cleansing. I need God to put me right. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do after church, but... <laughs> it, but really, I'm very aware that the people I'm mixing with are similar to me. They've got a little bit of dirt on their shirt. But when it comes to mixing with this wider church of all these new people with all their sinful lifestyles who've come in from all sorts of places who didn't really try very hard with God and they've been living all sorts of bad behavior. And they're in the same church as me now. So just go to town a bit here, Jenny. <laughs> just, yeah, that's great. So, yeah, yeah, go for it. I mean, just... Um, just, let's just, this is uh, Jenny Hartley. She's a, she's a nurse, a caring person. And uh, she's involved in an unprovoked attack on an elder. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably good enough. Yeah, thank, thank you for your help. Uh, you're going last one then, okay. Not face, no, no, no. <laughs> 
you don't want to look at a chocolatey face for the rest of this message. So, no, no, you can sit down. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, so here's the thing. They found their identity, even as new Christians who'd understood that Jesus had forgiven their sin, they understood that actually my main identity is still in the fact at least I'm around other people who just sin a little bit like I do. But if I hang out with these people who are just covered in yuck and all of their past and their sin, then that is going to taint me. And so Paul introduces him to this word called justification. And justification is to have God declare he's not guilty over you. And so, although the truth is, I'm a dirty person, I've been made dirty through sin, through all sorts of thoughts that I've had, and, and things that I shouldn't have done, and actions that I should have done and haven't done, and those 40 acts I should have done last year that I didn't do. And all of those things are true. To be a Christian isn't to say that I'm a better person, but it's to say this, that Jesus has taken my sin and he's put it underneath his... <laughs> His righteousness. So, let's just, uh, let's imagine that this didn't get covered in chocolate when I put it on. So here I am. I'm now standing in the very righteousness of God. And is it anything that I did? Is it something that I did? I, I, I simply put on a coat that I was given. It was a white coat. If I look underneath, I think, ooh, that's pretty horrible underneath there. But this is the way God looks at me in Jesus Christ. He says that I'm acceptable, I'm right. It's not a top-up righteousness. It's a, a righteousness by faith in Jesus. When we have righteousness of our own that's based on us behaving, what we're saying is, it matters how dirty my shirt is. When we have a relationship with God that's based on what God has done for us through Jesus, it's saying this, it matters what he says about me. It doesn't matter what I've done in my past. It's irrelevant. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation. God has said over you, if you're a Christian today, that you are not guilty. You're not guilty for your past sin. You're not guilty for your present sin. You're not guilty for your future sin. You are declared fully right in his sight. And that's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. Here's, let's explore this more, because this also frees us from past insincerity. So here's the thing. If I'm justified by faith and not by the works I do, then it frees me up to be a bit more honest about who I really am. Is that true? If I'm not pretending to be better than I am. You see, when I, if you have an employer, you're likely to show yourself in a better light to your employer than perhaps you really are. Or on Facebook, you're perhaps likely to show yourself in a slightly better light than you really think. Or to a friend or a neighbour. We all like to present a view that we're doing better than we are. And the gospel frees us from that. Because what we know is this, actually, if God sees me like this, clean in his sight because of Jesus, then I could be more honest about who I am and the issues I face and the temptations I face and the sins I give into. What Christ gives us is something better than a sorry God religion. Sometimes we simplify it to that. You know, it's almost like, well, you know, if you come to God and you say you're sorry, God will forgive your sins. There's a huge problem with that kind of approach to relating to God. Do you know what it is? The problem is this. It just depends how sorry I really am. 
So parents, when, when your child pokes you in the eye and says, sorry, <laughs> and then a minute later they poke you in the other eye and they say, sorry, and then they do it again and again and again, you think, you're not sorry. But here's the thing, you see, in our, if we're honest, the main sins we struggle with are repetitive sins. Isn't that right? It's things that we struggle to do again and again. And they're the things we have to come back to God with again and again. And the trouble is this, if the quality of my relationship with God is dependent on the quality of my apology, my sorry to him, and the first time it feels pretty earnest, second time it's like, I'm really sorry. Third time, I'm really, really sorry, God. Fourth time, I'm so incredibly sorry. And then, then the problem is this, we feel ongoing sense of guilt in our relationship with God because we feel like somehow my relationship with him is to do with how apologetic I feel and how bad I feel. In some churches you get points for how bad you feel as a Christian. The wonderful truth about what God has done in Christ is that he relates to you not on the basis of what you're feeling but on the basis of what he has done for you. Isn't that amazing? He loves you in Christ. He's not evaluating your performance. He's not, he's, not, he's, he's not rating you in that way. God Justification says that God relates to you on the basis of not how sorry you feel, but his declaration not guilty over you. Here's the fourth thing we see in verse 17. Free from past control. It says, If in seeking to be justified in Christ... We Jews find ourselves also among the singers, sinners. Doesn't that mean singers? Sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. These are two of the harder verses in this passage, but I think we can understand them this way. Here's the danger that's being raised with Paul, and it's the danger every time you talk about grace in this way. See. The problem is, it, when you say, well, God accepts me not based on what I do and my performance and my ongoing behavior, but based on what he's already said about me and what he's already achieved at the cross, then the accusation comes this, well, Paul, it's all going to go to pieces. People are going to get casual, a bit like this tourist. He's standing next to the guys in their protective equipment, feeling like, hey, I have no need to be uh, in my protective equipment. People say, well, if, if you don't have any more rules, Paul, if you don't have all of these Levitical laws where you're telling people how to behave, if you're not filling people's lives with so much stuff that they have opportunity to hang out with, with ordinary people and go for a drink of wine or beer, and, and, and if the danger is sometimes that you can fall into sin. In fact, if you believe that God loves you no matter what you do and his righteousness, your righteousness is intact no matter what you do, then it opens this whole can of worms. I can do what I like can do what I like. Now, Paul answers that question here. So he says, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? He says, well, if you're saying that, Paul, then what you're really saying is that Christ is cool with sin. If, if Christ approves of people who through his work alone are made righteous and they do whatever they want, you're saying, well, Christ is cool if they just go off and live a sinful lifestyle. And he said, no, no, that's, he said, of course I'm not saying that. He said, what a rubbish, false question that is. Often when people ask you a question, they want to put you on the back foot to get you to disprove the very first thing you've said. Sometimes people will say to you, they say, hey, well, hang on, 
Isn't that person meant to be a Christian? Look at the way they behave. And, and the, the thing you're meant to say, or they want you to say is this, well, no, of course, a Christian is somebody who just does lots of good things and tries to do the right thing. You can't just be a Christian just by believing in God. Of course not. Of course you have to live an appropriate life and do the right things. That's what people want you to say. Paul doesn't say that. He says, of course Christ doesn't promote sin. Of course you shouldn't sin as you're a Christian. Of course you shouldn't. But he says this, verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I really would be a lawbreaker. I think this is what he's saying in that verse. If, having understood that I'm right with God based on what he does, not what I do, if I then go back to a system of belief I know to be wrong, then that would be the worst kind of law-breaking of all. To actually go back on the idea that I'm not justified by faith, but by what I do. He said that would be completely wrong. God's not guilty isn't dependent on your past, present, or future works, but Paul has a different answer for us as to why Christians don't live in a life of sinful activity. And this is the last and final point. That Christ frees us from past introspection. Verse 19, For through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says, I'm done with my relationship to God being based through what I do. He says, I've died to it. That's how finished I am with that way of doing things. He'd lived a very driven life. He'd tried in all his own strength to please God. He'd tried to do the right thing, and he'd realized it just didn't work. Maybe you find yourself in a, today, in a place today where you've been trying incredibly hard to make something work and you find yourself in a very low point in your life today. That's a difficult place to be, but you know, that's actually an important place to come to. Because actually it's from that place that Christ lifts us up. And Paul says this, it's so that It's not so that he might sin, it's so that he might live for God. Here's the wonder of the Christian life. That it's not only a get-out-of-hell-free card, but it's Christ coming and living inside of you. It's not about me trying to do a few good things from now on. It's about the very source of every good thing and the man who did every good thing. When he walked the face of the earth, he's the very source of all good works. He comes and lives inside you. He comes and gives you the very thing that you lacked. is to live a life of faith, to trust Jesus. When we're not trusting Jesus, we become self-righteous navel-gazers, obsessed with how well or how badly we're doing. When we live by faith in the Son of God, we become grateful, Christ-loving people, motivated to live life in, a body, in, in, in our body for him and able to do good works purely for goodness' sake and not to prove who I am. Do you know, your spirituality isn't measured by what you do. It's measured by who Christ has made you. And I, I love this um, 40 Acts thing that Matthew uh, talked about, these 40 days 
Uh, Lent is, a, is one of those sort of Christian traditions. Not all Christians do it, but some do. And I remember as a child being taught this thing that, and I kind of just got it wrong in my head. I'm sure it wasn't explained this way, but I thought, oh, I got taught you should give up chocolate for Lent because that shows you're a more committed Christian. And here's the truth about that perception. It's utter nonsense. If you're going to do something, do it for the sake of other people. See, we don't need to do something in our own merit to make ourselves more committed and serious before God. We don't need more acts of self-righteousness to show God how serious we are about him. All we need is our robe of righteousness that Jesus gives us. So let me encourage you, if you uh, this is a great thing to do, to, to get involved with these 40 acts. But even that, we mustn't get burdened with it. I think I managed five out of 40 last year. And uh, hey, God loves us. When we fail, this is the righteousness we remind ourselves of. It's not how well I'm doing, it's but how well Christ has done for me. Paul says this, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. We must never set aside the grace of God. It was amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. It's amazing grace that's going to lead me home. It's amazing grace that you need in your life today. Christ today wants us to know his righteousness as we close together. Let's, let's pray and maybe we could sing uh, a song, Luke. That would be great. Let me ask you this question today as we just take a moment to respond. Have you been crucified with Christ? Or are you living some kind of sorry God religion where you're just hoping that your works won't be bad enough and your good works may be good enough and God might be sorry enough, to, uh, God might be merciful enough to accept your apology? Turn away from that way of doing things. Maybe today you need to say that in your heart. You need to say, Jesus, I'm putting all of my trust in your cross. I'm receiving your gift of righteousness over me. Maybe you need to be honest about the dirt in your life. Because God is very able and willing to forgive all of your sin. And he's very willing to clothe you in a righteousness that can't be tainted, that can't be smothered with sin. It's a righteousness that comes from him.